As we've mentioned in the past, the vast majority of responsa are on matters of halacha. Vast, vast majority of tshuvas deal with halacha, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. The four halachim of Shulchan Aruch, Minhagim, Halacha, Daraisa, Drabanan. A small, relatively tiny minority of tshuvas are on matters of theology and philosophy. Every now and then a posik is asked whether a certain belief is legitimate. As we've discussed in the past, the whole question of whether halachic methodology of hachra, the, the methods we have of, of deciding between conflicting views, whether that even makes sense with regard to philosophy. Can we decide on principles like Rove and uh, Minog? Can we decide questions of theology like that? Can we decide who's right, the Hasidim or the Misnagdim? Can we decide so there are halachic issues there as well? Can we decide whether Kabbalah is the way to approach God or philosophy? Can we decide uh, you know, questions like which... Uh, which, which doctrines are right? Is that really something which is subject to the halachic process? Opinions are split here, that there are those who say, of course not, of course, the matters of belief and matters of theology are not subject to the halachic process. Others suggest they are, and others point out in particular, sometimes there are, there are practical decisions that have to be made based on belief. If a person is an apicaris, you shouldn't count him for a minion, you shouldn't, uh, his, his wine is not kosher, you can't trust him for kashrus, and so on. <laughs> so, at that point, it becomes a halachic question. Is the wine kosher or not? So, every now and then, we do find chuvos that deal with philosophy, either in, in principle, someone actually asked a philosophical question, a theological question, and requested a theological answer. Sometimes, as I mentioned before, sometimes it bleeds over into a practical halachic question. We're going to study tonight three chuvos of the Radvaz. The Radvaz was Rabbi David ibn Zimra, one of the greatest Svardic postkim of the 16th century, about 500 years ago. He was in Egypt for much of his life and moved toward the end of his life to Eretz Yisrael. He was a prolific author. He authored several thousand responsa. They've been collected in at least eight volumes of responsa, Shuvas Radvaz, Chelek Aleph, Truches. His, his responsa are not that long usually. Some of them are a little bit longer, but they're, they're usually uh, fairly pithy. And again, he, he answered questions throughout the Sephardic world of the Near East and Turkey and North Africa. I, I, I don't know specifically where all his chuvas were addressed, but, but he, was one of the, he was one of the greatest uh, Sephardic authorities of his time. And as I said, most of his chuvas, of course, deal with halacha. Like many of the Sephardim, many of the chuvas deal with Chosh Mishpat and Evan Ezer, civil law and family law. But we're going to study tonight three chuvas of his which deal with questions of heresy, theology, and philosophy. Uh, all, all very interesting chuvas, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what the issues are and how he approaches them as we go through each one. First one is, someone asked him the following question. Principles of faith. What are the principles of faith? By far, the best known today are the Rambams, 13 principles of faith, Animamin, 13 Animamins, Rambam himself didn't write any Mammons, but they're based on the, the Rambam's uh, theological writing, where he collects 13 principles. Yigdal, the poem of Yigdal, is a poem which is clearly a, a, a verse version of the 13 principles of faith. So which, which Cheshbon, so the, Rambam, the Rambam's principles, the Rambam's dogmas, are by far the best known. But someone asked the Radvaz, which one any maskim? Which one do you accept as, uh, as, as uh, normative? Is it the Rambam's 13? Oh, well, Harav ben Chistoi. Rav ben Chistoi was Chistai Kreskes, Chastai Kreskes, 
was a prominent Spanish philosopher who wrote in reaction to the Rambam. He wrote a sefer called Or Hashem. It's not well known today outside of professional philosophers, but it's a, it was a uh, major medieval classic of, of philosophy. He rejected many of the Rambam. He was, he was also a great philosopher, but he rejected many of the Rambam's uh, more orthodox Aristotelian notions, and he, he had his own philosophical views. He also deals with the question of principles of faith. So that's, that was one possible rival to the Rambam. Oh, Al-Cheshman of Yosef Albo. Or the, the, the count of Yosef Albo. Yosef Albo was the author of the Sefer Haikarim, a later work also on, the, on, on theology in general, who, who also compiled a list of what he considered the primary principles of faith. The disagreements between these works are not really in which principles are true or which are false. They have some differences in that area as well. But in this context, the primary differences are how we count them, how we classify them, how we group them, are there 13 or 3 or... What are they exactly? We're not dealing so much with propositions which are being debated for truth or falsehood. We're dealing with, a, with what is the system of how to, of how to enumerate, how to, uh, how to classify what are, the, what, are the, what are the fundamental principles of faith that a Jew is supposed to believe. So someone asked the Radvaz, which list, is, which list is normative? Which list do you accept? The Rambam's list, uh, Ibn uh, Ben Chestai's list, Chastai Kreskis's list, or Rabbi Yosef Albo's list? That was the question. Today, this wouldn't be much of a question. Today, it's pretty clear the Rambams, the Rambams are dominant. Most people, I dare say, have never even heard of the, the lists of Yosef Albo and uh, of Chastai Kreskis. I, I couldn't tell you uh, exactly what their lists are, certainly off the top of my head. But the, that was the question they asked the Radvaz, which of these lists is the normative one? Says the Radvaz, choice D, none of the above. Tshuva, I don't believe in this whole process of creating dogmas, creating doctrines and principles of faith. Why? All the Torah is It's all equally important and equally true. We don't pick and choose and elevate certain doctrines to any... That's a, that's a Christian thing, maybe. He doesn't say that, but the, we don't do that. We, we believe Torah and everything in it is true. We don't start uh, creating some kind of systematic, sy- systematic framework of dogmas. The Torah is from Hashem, we believe it, and Zehu. We, we don't spend time making dogmas. If a person says that all of Torah is Menashemayim except for one Pasuk, that's considered heresy. Every mitzvah is Ikarupina, every mitzvah is just as fundamental as every other one. Some mitzvahs which seem relatively minor or trivial have deep, deep, deep secret reasons in them. Tam Vesod, which you may not understand. We, we can't pick and choose in our human intellect. We just take what God gives us and we treasure all of it. We don't start making hierarchies of more fundamental, less fundamental. In general, he says, he strongly agrees with Rabbi Yitzhak Abarbanel in his Sefer Rosh Amana. Rosh Amana was a work on the Yugim Alekrim written by the Barbanel. The, the structure of the work is he, he relates a number of critiques or objections to the Rambam system from these other thinkers like Rav Chastai Kreskes, Rav Yosef Albo, Ralbag, and so on. Some of the objections are to the actual truth of his proposition. Some of them are just to the organization of Ekrim. He defends the Rambam against all these principles, against all these objections. But at the end of the work, he says that he ultimately is not, uh, he doesn't really buy in totally to the Rambam system. He says, uh, and uh, even though he defends the Rambam, he says he, he doesn't really agree, I think, with this whole system of the, of the Karim. That's my opinion as well, he says. The Torah, all its details, kol pratev, diktukah, every one of them is ikar, v'yesod, upina, those are three synonyms for fundamental, cornerstones, foundations, 
fun, fundamentals. All these things are ikr. Hamachishos nikra kofer. Anyone who denies anyone is called a heretic. So the, this, whole, this whole exercise is futile and pointless. Disagrees with the Rambam. <coughs> the whole exercise of uh, creating ikarim is misguided, he says, and therefore I don't have any system of ikarim. Mizeh Tam, he says, Imansu Lavral al Achas, Mikal Mitzvah Samuras Torah. If they force someone to violate any mitzvah in the Torah uh, by saying Hashem didn't command this mitzvah, you can dispense with it. Or the mitzvah was temporary, like the Christian said, it, was, uh, it, no, it no longer applies, it has a sunset. Yahari Valyavar, that's considered heresy. You have to give up your life for that. We don't say you can do the Avera, we only say you can do the Avera. If they tell you, we know it's a mitzvah, we recognize it's your Torah, we want you to violate it. Then we say, then we say if it's not one of the cardinal three sins, you can do it. But if they tell you that we want, we want, we want you to reject the idea that this mitzvah is divine and is eternal, that's Yahari Valyavar, the Radvaz says, brings a Ritfu, says that, and so on. So that is the, the first tshuva, the Radvaz. And he, he does not like the, the creation of dogmas, of a, a hierarchy of principles, of fundamental principles. He says, belief in the entire Torah is crucial. All the Torah is the word of God. We believe all of it, he says. And the, he rejects the entire premise that there is meaning, that there's any worth in creating a, a, a tiered system where some beliefs are more fundamental than others. The whole exercise, he says, is misguided. Second tshuva. Second tshuva is a curious tshuva. The second tshuva deals with a specific belief that was either heretical or deeply problematic. He said it was a certain darish, it was a certain, uh, a certain speaker, Asher Darash Barabim, who gave an address, and he publicly declared in his address that the Jews believed Moshe Rabbeinu was God. The Jews believed that the human being Moshe Rabbeinu, they deified him, they said that he was God. Now, of course, there is a major religion that believes that about, their, uh, about the, the leader of their religion. Christianity, of course, believes this about Yeshu. There is a, uh, there is a major Hasidus today, Chabad, which has at least some small minority of adherents, perhaps more, who believes the Rebbe is God to some extent. Some actually say Barenu. Some actually uh, don't say Barenu, but some of them use very disturbing language. We do mitzvahs to give the Rebbe nachas, and we, the Rebbe knows everything. He's, he's, he, the Rebbe is omniscient and omnipotent and runs the world and, uh, and so on. So, yeah, I mean, you can, we can argue. It's not clear how many Chabad people have these beliefs, certainly how many believe in Barenu. But this is an old, an old problem of, of, uh, of Jews believing that, uh, I guess it comes from a good place. They, they have such a high opinion of their leaders that they go a little too far. So in the Radvaz's time, there was a certain Darish. He didn't believe this himself, but he said that the Jews in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu believed that he was God. So this was considered very offensive by people, that Moshe should be deified, that Jewish people, that someone should uh, calumniate the, the Jewish people by saying that they believe Moshe was God. So what's the deal with someone who says that the Jews believed Moshe was God? Sha'alta, al-inin ha-darish, asher darash barabim, Moshe haya eloah. So, says Radvaz, we've already discussed this in the past. I've already written to you about what a terrible, terrible thing to say this is. It's a terrible uh, slander against the Jews, against Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, maybe he only meant the Erev Rav. He says, maybe he uh, didn't mean the, the, the mainstream Jews. He meant the Erev Rav, that, that, uh, that problematic uh, rabble who had come from the, from the Egyptians. 
that's still not much of a uh, still not much of a defense. He says it's still a terrible thing to say that and pe- people who say such things. He says he says he says those he says Darshim from those kingdoms. I'm not sure what nationality this Darish was from, but that uh, that culture of Jews he says has a problem with this type of thing in general with this. Uh, this freewheeling system of drash, that they say whatever they want, even, and they, they interpret psukim in ways that are very much removed from the pshat. And the chazal's midrashim, they, they have all kinds of strange and bizarre interpretations. I, I'm not sure what school of drash, I guess if, if you know the history of, of the 16th century better, perhaps it's possible to pin down exactly what school of exegesis he was referring to. But he said this is a, a, a broader problem than the specific case of this Darshan who said that the Jews believe Moshe Rabbeinu was a god. But it's a, it's a big problem, he says. They just make things up, and they say things without any uh, discipline or restraint, he says. And uh, so, Bechar Tiashtika, I, I don't want to start fights, he says. I don't want to start uh, aggravating people. So uh, I'm not going to get into a more general attack on this school of Drash. Regarding this particular Darish, he says, he says what he says is really against the honor of Moshe Rabbeinu, even though it's not Moshe Rabbeinu's fault, strictly speaking, if people deified him. But the halacha is, the Gemara says, not the halacha, but the, there, is, there is a Midrasha comment that Akash Baruch Hu punishes those who worship Avodah He also punishes those who are worshipped. And he goes on to say in the next paragraph that the person himself may bear responsibility if he's aware of this and doesn't put a stop to it. So maybe he says that this Darish meant that, that people thought this secretly, the Erev Rav thought this in their hearts, but they didn't actually uh, worship him outwardly. They didn't tell anybody about it. They secretly had thoughts of elevating him to godhood, but uh, he had no way of knowing this. It wasn't his fault. That which Chazal say that Hashem punishes those who are worshipped, Hashem obviously is fair. Hashem only does that if people worship him outwardly. But, this, but, but he says, maybe this person meant that, that people in their heart of heart, secretly they thought he was God. And uh, even though Hashem punishes people for thoughts of Avodah Obviously, that only applies, he says, to the people who have those thoughts themselves. It's not fair to punish someone who's worshipped for secret thoughts someone else had that he had no way of knowing. Okay, maybe this Darish meant it wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu's fault, he didn't know about it, there's nothing he could have done about it. But that's nice, he says, but that's not what this person actually said. He said what this person said was, he, this person was Darish, the Pasuk we read, uh, on the, we read it on Atanis, in addition to the Parsha Shavuah, by Yechal Moshe, as Pnei Hashem Elokov. Moshe supplicated before, before God, before Hashem, his God. So this Darish said, Moshe was apologizing and, and trying, to, uh, trying to defend the Jewish people. He said, um, don't worry, if they made me a God, that's okay, because I accept you as a God. So whatever they worship, whatever worship they provide toward me, I redirect toward you. I, I fully accept you as God, so if they worship me, don't worry, I worship you. So it sounds like Moshe knew they were worshiping him. And that, that's terrible, he says. How come Moshe didn't make them do tshuva? He, he just let it go, and he didn't. He, he just marames it when he speaks to God. Why didn't he put a stop to it? He should have killed them. He should have. Uh, he should have. He should have. He should have. He should have. He should have uh, tried them as idolaters. He says that he he, he tried them for the egel and executed them for the egel. This is just as bad. It's chiruf Someone who accepts any kind of uh, idol as as God, he's chayiv skila. A person says, Eliata, he, he turns even to a brick, and he says, you're my God? That's a capital offense. So how can Moshe not do anything, even if it was Erev Rav, how can he just let them, make him into a God, and not do anything? There's always a question when leaders are deified by their followers, how much is their fault, how much, how much, do they, how much are they aware of this? 
Says the Radvaz, yeah, in principle, if he doesn't know that we can, uh, that, that we can, uh, that we can cut him some slack, but if he did know, how can he possibly know and then tolerate this and not, this would be a terrible uh, maligning of, the, of, of, of Moshe Rabbeinu, God's, God's trusted, God's trusted emissary, Neman Beso, to say that he knew and didn't put a stop to it. He says, the only defense I have, and this is something crucially important, this is something of broad applicability, the only defense I have, he says, for possibly, for, for this Darish, for not uh, imposing sanctions on him, they lived in a time where free speech wasn't, uh, wasn't, what, it, what, wasn't, wasn't what it was today. It didn't really exist, as a matter of fact. It doesn't really, free speech is not really a Torah value. The Lashon Hara is prohibited, heresy is, expressing heresy is prohibited. So, basically, they, they punished you. They, they sanctioned you for all kinds of prohibited speech. If you insult somebody, they would fine you. They would fine you or impose other sanctions. If a person pr- uh, promulgated heresy in public, he wasn't just given a reprimand and wasn't just the subject of a protest. They would, the community would fine you and sanction you in various ways. So he says, the only reason I can think of that this person is saying such terrible things that, uh, that there was rampant idolatry going on, Moshe was being deified, he didn't put a stop to it, such a pernicious idea Certainly, he says, the Darish ought to be worthy of being sanctioned. The only defense I have, and this is something crucial, which has broad applicability whenever we discuss dogma and heresy, If someone makes a mistake, he says, then it's not his fault, and he's not punished. If someone makes an honest mistake, a good-faith mistake about theology, we don't sanction him. He says, this is not, this is not better, he says, if someone makes a mistake about one of the 13 principles of faith. He makes an error. He, he's learning, he's studying theology. He reaches an erroneous conclusion. He's not called an apicurus. He says, Hillel, there, there was a scholar Hillel in the Talmud. This is not, I think, this is not generally assumed to be the same Hillel as Hillel Hazakin, Hillel the Elder. This was a later Hillel in the time of the Talmud. He was Adam Gadol. He was considered a, a great scholar. He made an error regarding the truth of one of the 13 principles of faith. Sha'amar he famously said, He said, Klal Yisrael should not expect any redeemer. Mashiach is not coming. The Psukim in Yeshaya, the Psukim in Navi that prophesied about a great, uh, a great scion of the Davidic lineage who will arise and will and will do great, great things and restore the fortunes of Israel. He said that refers to Chizkiah, that the successes Chizkiah had, the great Tzadik Chizkiah had, those nevuos refer to Chizkiah, and we no, we, we no longer have the right to expect any future redeemer. So Chizahil, basically, not to put too fine a point on it, denied the whole idea of Mashiach that we've been yearning for for uh, more than a thousand years. So the Gemara does not, uh, is not happy with Hillel. The Gemara says, Sharle Mare, may God forgive him for making this terrible mistake. But says the Radvaz, they didn't call him a kofer, they didn't call him a heretic. If they did, they wouldn't, they wouldn't quote statements from him. They, they, they would have written him out of the Talmud. He said, they, they said he made a terrible mistake and God should forgive him. But they certainly did not impose the label of a heretic upon him, he says. Why? Because we only call someone a heretic when he, uh, when, when he makes a bad faith error, when, when someone who makes an honest mistake, this is what he thinks is true. He's considered honest, it's not his fault. He's considered, he's, considered, uh, he's doing the best he can. He's not called a heretic. He says, here too, if this Darish really thinks his Pshat is correct, he's not just a troublemaker who's out for, today we would say, for clicks and clickbait. He really thinks this is true. This is a, a correct Pshat, he says. He thinks, it's, he thinks it's actually an honor for Moshe Rabbeinu that they revered him so much that they deified him. He means well. 
then okay, it's a terrible thing. Maybe maybe he's not really an apicurus, and we don't have to impose heavy sanctions on him. This is actually a, a major, major machlokus among theologians, whether if someone makes an honest, good-faith mistake about theology, do we call him an apicurus or not? Rav Chaim Salavechik, Rav Chaim Brisker, is widely quoted as having held an apicurus b'shogig is nebuch an apicurus. If someone, is, if someone believes, in, in that Rav Chaim is explaining what, what the first Red Vaz, uh, touched on, if someone rejects any pasuk in the Torah, he's an apicurus. So what's unique about the 13 principles? I think that's Rav Chaim's point. So Rav Chaim says, any other pasuk in the Torah, if you don't know it's a pasuk, if you have a different text, if you're mistaken about it, but in good faith, you're not denying the Torah, but in good faith you think this is not part of the Torah, that's fine, you're not an apicurus. The 13 principles of faith, good faith doesn't matter, and intentions don't matter, it's, it's simply a factual question. If you don't accept any one of the 13 principles of faith, nebuch, it's unfortunate, but you're still an apicurus, and all the dinam of apicurus cling to you. This ties in, of course, to the whole question of Tinoch Shanishba, counting people for a minion that, that, that we've discussed in the past, and so on, about uh, whether if, if it's not somebody's fault that he's not religious, what, how does Allah view such a person? But this is Rav Chaim's view. This is how Rav Chaim understands the Rambam. Many others disagree. Some say the Ravid disagrees. There's a famous Ravid when, when the Rambam stresses the, the absolute uh, absurdity, the absolute falsehood of God having any corporeal existence. Radvaz says, why does he call somebody an Apicurus who believes that? Many great people, point to one version of the text, many people greater than the Rambam believed uh, that Hashem had a body. So you shouldn't call that person an Apicurus. So if some understand, that's the Machlokas. The, the Rambam, as understood by Rav Chaim, was saying it doesn't matter if you make a good faith effort. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And you're, if, you're, if you're wrong about one of these crucial propositions, you're an Apicurus. And the Ravid is saying, no, these were people who studied the, the Torah in good faith, and they studied Midrash in good faith, and they were led to some erroneous conclusions. It's unfortunate, but a mistaken bit of theology does not make you an Apicurus. The Sefer Ikarim, Yosef Alba discusses this, and this is what the Radvaz is saying here. The Radvaz is assuming here the more lenient position, the more liberal position, that good faith mistakes don't make you an apicurus. If a person has an honest mistake about some theological point, it's very unfortunate, but he's not actually an apicurus. I never fully understood this view. What does make you an apicurus then? Pretty much anyone who, unless someone is actually what we would call a troll or someone who is just out to make trouble, Anyone who believes anything, Christians uh, believe what they believe in good faith, and Reformed Jews believe what they believe largely in good faith, one assumes. And Karaites believe what they believe in good faith. So most people, I would assume, maybe I'm naive, but I would assume that most people believe what they believe in good faith. Muslims believe what they believe in good faith. Christians believe what they believe in good faith. Hindus and Buddhists and Shintoists and uh, atheists and Wiccans. I mean, many of them believe what they believe in good faith. You can always find, I guess, some exceptions, people who whose beliefs are motivated by politics, or people whose beliefs are some kind of protest statements. But in general, most you know, widespread religious beliefs, one assumes, are made in good faith. There are some Muslim approaches that say that some beliefs are really motivated by the desire to throw off the yoke of heaven, by the desire to engage in tava. You don't want all the Torah's restrictions on, uh, on thou shalt and thou shalt not, so you go find a fig leaf of rejecting belief in the Torah. So doubtless there are some people who uh, really do believe but are pretending they don't believe because they want more, more personal freedom. But by and large, you know, most, people, most people, I would think that most people, who, most people who believe things honestly believe them. So if you take this advice at face value, almost nobody's a kofar. Almost nobody's an apikaris. As long as, as, long as, you make a good, as long as your belief is held in good faith, uh, that's, uh, almost nobody's a kofar. All right. But this is what the advice says, that he's willing to cut this darish 
he's willing, he's willing to uh, give him a little bit of cover by saying that uh, if, if, he's, if he's just such a fool, if he's just such a, if he's just such a, uh, you know, if he has such poor, poor Torah study skills that he actually believes his pshat is, 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 requ- is indicated by the psukim, all right, so it's not his fault. He doesn't know how to learn, but it's not his fault. This is what he believes. It's a terrible thing, but he's not an apicarus if he, if he honestly believes this in good faith. The bottom line is, the Red Vaz says, we should, uh, we should get formal testimony, precise witness testimony, what exactly he said, whether it was the Erev Rav, whether Moshe knew about it or not, exactly what this Darish meant, and tell me, uh, he says, also he says, I want you to tell him formally from me, send him a message that what he's saying is intolerable and incorrect, and it's a grievous error, it's a misreading of the Psukim, and it's an incorrect approach to the Torah, he says, and demand that he cease and desist from this, uh, from this uh, religiously problematic attitude, and if he backs down, if he accepts the muster and backs down, then great. And if not, he says, and send me whatever witnesses you have about exactly uh, what he's saying. And insofar as we, uh, as we have damning testimony that he's, that he's engaged in uh, improper, improper theology, we'll, uh, we'll, that, then we'll, we'll, we'll put him in cherem, we'll, 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 uh, we'll use various forms of sanctions to suppress these terrible types of beliefs and to try to curb this kind of behavior. However, he says, I haven't actually seen what he said firsthand, I'm not going to respond to him. If he didn't consult me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reach out to him. So uh, we, we can pursue the matter further when we have more documentation and more, and more evidence, he says. But in the meantime, this is my attitude. The belief itself is unquestionably a, a, a terrible belief to say that Moshe Rabbeinu tolerated being deified, didn't do anything about it, is terrible. Uh, such a person would be worthy of grave punishment if, if, if uh, except for the defense, that if he made it in good faith, if he honestly thought this is what the psukim indicated, he can always plead good faith, that uh, I, honestly, I honestly read the psukim this way, and then we can, that, that's a mitigating factor that he's not deserving of the full-blown punishment and chastisement that would be deserving, of that, 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 that someone who, who spoke like this would deserve. Third tshuva. The third tshuva also deals with philosophy. It's, uh, the third tshuva deals with, also with insults and slander, well, what happened was, again, we mentioned earlier that the whole notion of, of, of free speech that doesn't really exist in halacha. Insulting somebody, embarrassing somebody in public is a, uh, is a serious crime. The Gemara actually talks about boshas. Humiliation is a cause of action. If somebody assaults somebody, so one of the, one of the charges you can, you can sue for is boshas, is humiliation. The halacha is that boshas dvarim is potter. That boshes has to be physical, you have to have slapped somebody or knocked somebody down. But a verbal boshes, verbal humiliation, is actually not actionable. However, the Gaonim and Rishonim and Akronim established a, a major doctrine that even though Me'ikra Din, it's true that, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, and that there's no cause of action, it's an Avera, but there's no cause of action for boshes Varim, the Gaonim and Rishonim and Akronim all took for granted that a society in which people could be publicly rude to each other and humiliate each other was intolerable. I know it's hard to imagine in the age of uh, Twitter and Reddit, it's hard to imagine that there was once a society that believed that, uh, in, that, that hurtful words were intolerable and had to be fined and sanctioned. But that's how Jewish society once worked. And the Gaonim said that even though al Alacha, there's no tviya for Boshes Varim, Basin has the prerogative to do it anyway, Lamigdar Milsa, 
to, uh, to impose uh, extra legal sanctions. And that was the custom of Bate-Din for hundreds and hundreds of years, that if somebody would, uh, if somebody would say horrible, hurtful things about somebody in public, then they, then they could be sued. Now, the suit is really only for libel. And in that sense, it really is similar to, uh, it really is similar to uh, modern law. Truth was generally a defense against, uh, against suits for humiliation and libel. If you, if you could prove, if you, if, you can, if you can establish that it was true, whatever you said, if you say, so, Ruvain is Mechal Shabbos, Ruvain is mortified by being accused of Chal Shabbos, if you lied, then you can be sued for some, today we would call that, I guess, I guess it's not so dissimilar from modern law, you could be sued for, uh, I don't know, today we would sue for intentional infliction of emotional distress and libel, if, if, certainly if you can show that it caused you economic harm, Modern law, you sue for that. In halacha, we discussed, you can't really claim that meikra din, it's a form of grama, but certainly the migdar milsa certainly has a form of extra-legal sanction that to find for that. And even just in terms of uh, deeply insulting, if it was untrue, you could sue. If it was true, even though the Chavetz Chaim tells us about a million times, Lashon Hara is prohibited, even when it's true, but in terms of filing for damages, then generally, uh, generally saying something that was true, the post can often say, that's a defense. Some posts can say that's only if the truth has some value to the, to the public, it's only if there's some need to know or some benefit to the public by, uh, by, by knowing about this truth. Other posts can take a more general standard. They say um, that, that, that everyone pretty much agrees that, that, there may have to, that it may be true that we require a, some public need to know, but some of them define it much more broadly than others. I'll call upon him. For many hundreds of years, there, there was a tradition that you could sue if somebody insulted you, certainly if it wasn't true, maybe even if it was true, but certainly if it was not true. So that's what this Juven the Radvaz was about. It was an insult, a question of uh, sanctions for insult. It was a rather curious kind of insult. The insult went as follows. Ruvain insulted Shimon as follows. Ruvain said, I, we can't daven with you, it's prohibited to daven with you because you are a, a heretic, an apicarist, and a sectarian. And how are you a sectarian? What is your heresy? What is your doctrinal shortcoming? Other people, when they daven, they say, Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak. When you daven, you say, Elokei Aristotle. You say, the God of Aristotle. Not sure exactly what he meant. Apparently, I mean, again, you're not saying Aristotle is God. You're saying, just like Elokei Avram means Hashem is the God of Avram, Elokei Aristotle, by analogy, would mean Hashem is the God of Aristotle, which he is, obviously, but... Maybe he meant he was elevating Aristotle to such a high position, greater than Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, which was uh, a perversion of the, the pantheon of great men. Anyway, as is evident from the rest of the Radvaz's tshuva, the insult here was he was mocking him and excoriating him for being uh, fond of philosophy, for being a student of philosophy. He felt that his love of Greek philosophy had overstepped any reasonable bounds to the extent that, uh, that the god he prayed to was the god of Aristotle. All right. Um, some, in some context, the, the phrase God of Aristotle refers to a uh, kind of impotent God, God who's somehow theoretically responsible for the world, but doesn't intervene in it, doesn't exercise any divine providence. It's just some kind of abstract force that is responsible for the running of the world, but doesn't, act, but doesn't have agency and doesn't have free will and doesn't, com- and doesn't communicate with people and doesn't, and doesn't do scarbonish. I don't know if that's what he meant by saying that you pray to the God of Aristotle. That's what some modern thinkers mean when they refer to the God of Aristotle. But anyway, it was some kind of slur, which he doesn't really explain. It was some kind of slur. He was insulting, he was insulting, Reuven was insulting Shimon by claiming that his interest in philosophy was abhorrent and intolerable. So he, he basically uh, insulted him uh, viciously 
by mocking and, uh, and mocking and ridiculing his love of philosophy in public. And he, he said more things. He said, It's hard to imagine someone saying, you pray to the God of Aristotle with great fury and passion and outrage, but people took these things very seriously once. And uh, he cursed him, and he, uh, and he uh, demonized him, and so on, and he, and he humiliated him in, in, in a devastating way. So what shall be the punishment of Ruvain who did this to Shimon? Says the, the Radvaz, he begins with a cute Melitza. Chazal say, anyone who says Ruvain in the, in the story of Bilhah, where, where Ruvain is described as having committed a terrible sin with Bilhah, his father is concubine, anyone who says Ruvain Chata, Enoelatoa. Anyone who says Ruvain actually did what the Pesukim say is making a serious mistake. What Ruvain did was something more subtle, which the Torah describes in somewhat uh, blunt and explicit terms, but it's really an exaggeration. It's not what Ruvain actually did. So Chazal have this expression, anyone who says Ruvain Chata Toah, that's Ruvain, that's biblical Ruvain, Ruvain ben Yaakov. This Ruvain, Ruvain of the story, which is probably a pseudonym, but Ruvain of the story, he certainly is a Chote, he's a Chote and a Shote and a Motzi Dibo Huxil, he's a guilty of terrible slander, that's an idiom meaning cherem. Ruvain is deserving of, we should throw the book at him, we should excommunicate him and punish him. Ruvain is guilty of the grave, the grave offense of hurting the feelings of insulting Shimon. He brings Chazal that Onas Dvarim, there are two kinds of Onas, Onas Mamon is certain kinds of fraud. Onas Dvarim, it refers to hurting somebody's feelings, making him feel bad. Example, if you say, if you tell a Balchuva or a Ger, remember your antecedents, remember what you used to do. Someone who calls his friend by a nickname, even if he's used to it, goes to Gehenna without any recourse, and so on and so forth. And that's even if it's true. If you say something to someone that makes him feel bad, even if it's true, you get, uh, it's a terrible Avera. And certainly if it's false, he says, we, we see this in Maseches Arachim, this week's parsha. It says, we learn how terrible Lashon Hara is, we had, it in, uh, we had it in last week's parasha as well, in Baal Oscha. We, I'm sorry, we had, we, had, we had it in yesterday's parasha of Shlach. We had it in two weeks ago's parasha of, uh, of Baal Oscha. But he brings the Gemara, talks about how terrible Lashon is from the Meraglim. The Meraglim, they spoke about sticks and rocks, about the land of Israel. Certainly Lashon about a human being, Yalachas Kama Bakama. And there, and, and there he says it was... Uh, and, and, and there he says... He says, uh, he says, and, and that's even something that's true. What they said was largely true about Eretz Yisrael. They said they said it in a negative light, but it was largely true. Certainly, for Sheker, uh, that 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 that's egregious, and someone who embarrasses someone else, barabim, terrible, terrible avera, and so on. And certainly, if he's a Talmud Chacham and Taraso Umnaso, if he's a Talmud Chacham, if he's a professional Talmud Chacham, even if he's just someone who's Kaveitim Latara, someone who learned, even if it's not his primary occupation. But he takes Torah seriously and has regular hours for Torah study. That's an additional sin, the sin of Mabaza Talmud Chacham, someone who, someone who is, uh, so, so, someone who, someone who humiliates the Talmud Chacham, which is also a, uh, which is, which, which is, which is an even more terrible Avera, and so on and so forth. And then the Tshuva veers off in a very interesting direction. Up till now, he was just focusing on the aspect of the personal insult that he, he hurt Shimon's feelings and insulted him for, being fond of philosophy. But now he says, you're not just insulting Shimon, he says. You are insulting Kedosh Masher Baaretz. You are insulting Gedole Yisrael for hundreds of years who studied philosophy. According to you, anyone who studies philosophy is uh, worthy of being mocked and saying you know, that, he, that you dive into the God of Aristotle. 
What are you talking about, he says. You're Moti Diba, and he starts recounting a list of uh, some of the greatest Gedol Yisrael who, who studied philosophy. Ibn Gaviro, the great poet and philosopher Shlomo Ibn Gaviro. Rabbi Yudha Levi, author of the Kruzari and his poetry. Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra, we know him primarily as a, as a Parshan Hamikra, but he was also a philosopher. Rambam, of course. Rambam, Chachmei called Dar Vidar. There were Chachmei Yisrael in every generation who, 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 did, who studied philosophy, who, who, who plumbed the depths of philosophy. And uh, if, if you say that anyone who learns philosophy is some kind of Apicarus and you can't daven with him, Chalila, you're, you're, you're insulting all the Gedolei Yisrael for hundreds of years who embraced philosophy and studied it. And Chas uh, Shalom, you're insulting the Rambam, you're insulting Shlomo Ibn Gaviril. Then he starts proving that the Chachmei HaGemara knew philosophy. He starts quoting various Chacham in the Gemara who, were, who, who, who studied different types of science, philosophy, medicine, which he lumps together here. He says, and Aristotle wrote uh, physics and metaphysics. He wrote, uh, in, in, in Hebrew they call it uh, Hateva and Achrateva, metaphysics, beyond or after physics. So they, in, in the, the Rishonim referred to Aristotle's works of Teva, and uh, the, the ethics was called Sefer Amidos, the physics was called Sefer Ateva, metaphysics is Masha Achrateva. So all these things were considered branches of, of philosophy. Today, we, today, philosophy is kind of an academic discipline, which is very different from physics and medicine and so on. But back then, these were all part of the, the different wisdoms that, that educated people learned, that, that people who sought Chachma learned. He said, we have all kinds of Chachma in the Gemara who learned all these things. Shmuel knew astronomy, he says. Moreover, and this is deeply fascinating, he says, moreover, Shmuel was a physician. He says, we have a Gemara in, we have a Gemara in Bab Metziah that says that he was the Ashi de Rebbe, he was uh, the physician of Rebbe, now, the, the Radvaz says, the Radvaz says, if Shmuel was a physician, he must have studied physics, natural science. You can't be a physician if you haven't studied science. There are, there are those people who believe that if you study enough Torah, you'll learn the wisdoms of medicine. There are people who believe that the Chazanish could somehow you know, do brain surgery or give directions to brain surgeons based on what he learned in Gemaris, apparently. There are those who say the Gon's knowledge of Chachma came from the, came from the Torah. But uh, says the Radvaz, I don't know about any of this, the Radvaz says, you can't be a physician unless you study secular wisdom, unless you study Chachma, which, which you know, science, philosophy, all, all the different wisdoms, unless you study what we call science, he says, science and philosophy, you can't be a physician. You can be a great Chachman in the Gemara, he says. You're not going to be a competent physician unless you have studied Chachmas Ateva. He brings other sages of the Talmud who were physicians. Rav Papa was an expert physician. <coughs> Rav Hanina. Rav Hanina was an expert physician, he says. Many Chachamim were Rofim Ubekim, Chachmas Ateva. Rambam was a physician. Ramban was a physician. He says that they must have studied uh, philosophy. Rambam obviously did. Ramban was not noted for being, uh, for being a student of secular philosophy, but he must have studied something if he was practicing medicine. Says the Radvaz, Are you going to cast aspersions on these great Chachamim that they pray to the God of Aristotle? Certainly, he says, anyone who insults Chachma, anyone who is Mavaze HaChachma, Mavaze Lamdeha. If you think philosophy is terrible, then you think all those who study philosophy is terrible. All these great Chachamim. These people, you dare insult these people, he says, they are Chachamim, Mechukamim, Shochni Afar. These are legendary figures of our, of our past, he said. 
even though he says, yes, it's true. He says, I will concede that the philosophers do have some claims which are against, which are against what we believe, against the, the, against the beliefs of Yadis, particularly with regard to divine providence, like Aristotle. People sometimes, people in later generations, in the time of the Achronim, sometimes hold up Aristotle. You hear, you hear this kind of talk on Hanukkah a lot, about how Aristotle is fundamentally opposed Greek wisdom, and Aristotle is fundamentally opposed to Torah. Aristotle somehow represents atheism and materialism and is against everything Judaism stands for. What Aristotle actually believed is apparently a little bit hard to discern. As widely studied as he is, it's not always clear exactly what he believed. But what is clear is that the medieval Jewish scholastic interpretation of Aristotle understood him to actually believe in God. He didn't believe in a personal God, as we said before, who exhibited divine providence and could and can and does intervene in the world like our God does. But they, but they very much believed that Aristotle did believe in a God. And as a matter of fact, in one of the great, uh, periodic, great outbursts of polemic and controversy about philosophy a few generations after the Rambam, so one of the leaders of the Zealots, one of the leaders of the anti-philosophy group who was trying to ban, ban the study of philosophy among Jews, he wrote, we have no problem with Aristotle. Aristotle was a great Chacham. He believed in God. He followed in the footsteps of Avram Avinu and spread the belief in a monotheistic uh, deity throughout the world. He went wrong in that he didn't understand, he didn't accept revelation, he didn't understand a God who has choice and has agency and, and intervenes in the world. So Aristotle certainly is not correct in the, in the, in the, in the final analysis, but we owe him tremendous uh, praise and gratitude because he spread Amuna compared to what the pagans believed. Aristotle was a model of, of theological enlightenment and he did believe in God as understood by the Rishonim. So, so, the, so the, this is what the Radvaz is alluding to here. By and large, the understanding of classic philosophy was that it did believe in a god, and it did believe in a theological framework which to a certain extent was not all that dissimilar from Judaism. It's true, he says, when it comes to Ashkacha, when it comes to divine providence, when it comes to a god <coughs> who has choice and agency and can override the laws of nature, that, yes, the, the philosophers err and, and have erroneous, erroneous beliefs on that point, he says, on some of those points. And some of them actually uh, challenge um, other fundamental aspects of the Torah, he says. But he says, nevertheless, that, that's, not a, that's not an indictment of philosophy as a whole. That's not a reason to condemn those who study philosophy, he says, because everything they say is just based on arguments. It's all perfectly transparent. You can study the arguments, and somebody who's well-versed in Torah will understand. He, the Rav is very optimistic. He believes that somebody who's well-versed in Torah will readily see the unpersuasiveness of, of, the, of, the, of their doctrines that are against the Torah, he'll be easily able to reject them. <coughs> this is obviously less true today, where, where, where science has gotten a good deal more rigorous and a good deal more sophisticated, more, uh, a, good, a good deal more advanced, and science has a lot to say against religion, which is not always so easy to, uh, to brush away and dismiss. But in his time, the Radvaz felt that Science, had a, science and philosophy had a great deal of good to contribute to a Jew, and those propositions which were false were easily discernible and easily rejected by a sophisticated Torah student, he says. He goes on, he says, uh, so we can easily uh, reject and see the fallacy of those propositions which are against the Torah, and so on and so forth, he says. Anyone who Hashem has granted eyes to see and a chalik of bina, he can see that uh, we don't understand everything and that the philosophy is not the last word and that we can accept our Armasera and our Kabbalah and so on and so forth. And therefore, the Radvaz fails. Philosophy is fine. 
many great Jews studied philosophy. Anyone who condemns philosophy as being uh, an abomination is guilty of grave insults against uh, all the Gedoli Israel who studied philosophy. The Radvaz would probably not have been very happy with someone like the Gona Vilna. The Gona Vilna has a famous diatribe against the Rambam, like who, the, where, where the Rambam said, the Rambam didn't believe certain things Chazal said. He said he dismissed them because they were against philosophy, beliefs in magic and demons and divine names and incantations and so on. The Gon famously said it was Philosophia Ha'arura, the cursed philosophy that he studied, led him astray with its great seductive, seductiveness and, uh, and it's terrible to learn philosophy, he said. So the Gon had no problem. The Gon was certainly independent and, uh, and uh, independent-minded and, uh, and had his convictions and the Gon was willing to say that the Rambam was guilty of being seduced by a cursed philosophy, but the Radvaz, as is common for the Sephardim, had a reverence to the Rambam and other great Sephardic Chachamim like Ibn Gaviral and Ibn Ezra to the point that he was outraged that somebody would insult philosophy, which by extension means he was insulting the Rambam, insulting Ibn Gaviral. Absolutely unthinkable, he says, to speak like this. So he says, I would uh, absolutely uh, have, have the knives out, he says, Tivchi tavuach v'yeni mazug apesha we have to exterminate such a terrible slander against Gedoli Yisrael, who be speaking, who, who are calling people who study Chachma, who study philosophers, Min Vapikaris. How can you say such a thing? He says, "The Motzi Laz Al Elyon." That's called Masaparach or Mitasrin Shalt Midachamim. Terrible, terrible thing. Absolutely intolerable. He goes on for a while. He says, he's, he goes on for a while in this vein. Toward the end of the Chuba, he says he makes an interesting concession. He says. I will, I will, it is true, he says, I will concede that I myself have barred the Talmudim of our time, he says, Talmudim that he controls, he has indeed instructed them not to, not to study philosophy, not to study science and philosophy, because it, today it's too dangerous. Today, in Ismatu Halavavos, we are weaker in our uh, understanding, we don't have as much chachma, it's much easier to be led astray by, by the, the errors that philosophy can bring you into, he says, even if you study uh, Secrets of the Torah, he says, even if you study Maisim Merkava and Torah, Secrets of the Torah, he says, the Chazal warned you against uh, venturing into areas with the, 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 the going into the Pardes. Chazal warned about the terrible things that can happen if a person tries to plumb the depths of Pardes and terrible things can happen. Certainly, he says, if you study the, the, these things from outside sources. So as a, as a practical matter, he says, I do not actually recommend that the students of today study philosophy, he says. However, I certainly wouldn't insult those who did study philosophy, he says. Those who did and kept their amuna and remained tzaddikim and committed Torah Jews, he says. On the contrary, they're worthy of great praise. We see they were L'Shem Shemayim. They studied these uh, dangerous doctrines and they stayed religious. They stayed committed to the Torah. And it's a, it's a terrible thing, he says, that, that to, insult, to insult people for learning philosophy, as long as they're Jews in good standing, as long as they remain faithful to the Torah and observant, it's a, uh, it's a terrible thing to insult such people, he says. And he concludes the tshuva by saying, I, 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 I give this matter over to the chachamim. They should do what has to be done to put a stop to this, to people insulting people like this, to, uh, to, to people who are excoriating others for studying philosophy, he says. First of all, you have no right to insult somebody, period, to, to hurt somebody's feelings in public. Second, if you bash philosophy like this, you are essentially condemning and criticizing the, the, the revered Gidoli Israel who believed in philosophy. 
And therefore, this is unacceptable, he says. This has to stop. And the person has to take heed, our muster, and he better stop doing this. So these are the Radvazes, various three of the Radvazes, three notable chuvas of the Radvaz on philosophy. When it comes to the Karim, he was uh, skeptical. He rejects the Rambam's whole plan of creating a system of dogmas. He feels we should just take the, the simpler, more straightforward approach that all of Torah is the word of God. We accept all of it. When it comes to, when it comes to someone who had a uh, strange, bizarre, and what he felt was offensive and the- theologically problematic drasha, you know, he doesn't believe in freedom of speech. He says this is unacceptable. We can be down like Hafskos. Maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he, maybe he meant a more innocuous version of what he said. Maybe he said it in good faith. He, he thought it was okay, but really he just made a mistake. An honest mistake is not something worthy of cheirim for, but he has to, we have to put a stop to this. His third tshuva, he actually has a full-throated defense of philosophy. He says, even if it is dangerous, and he doesn't recommend the study of philosophy in his day, we, we cannot uh, avoid the fact that it was studied by some, of the, by some, by some tremendously venerable Chachma Yisrael, Rambam, Ibn Gavirol, Ibn Ezra, and anyone who insults philosophy is insulting them, and in general you shouldn't be insulting anybody, even just a person uh, of our time who's a Jew in good standing, certainly you shouldn't be insulting philosophy in Gedolei Olam, and therefore this has to stop as well, and he demands that, uh, that this person be reined in as well.